Welcome to The Awakening Code, a new show from Snippet featuring conversations around the process we call awakening and living more consciously and on purpose. This week, we're thrilled to be joined by author Greg Braden to discuss the marriage of science and spirituality. Greg starts us off with a discussion about the evolution of the scientific community. There was a tremendous spiritual revolution that was sweeping the earth in the mid to late 1800s. Uh, and that includes the scientific community. Uh, this is when some of the big ideas, you know, Darwin's ideas were published uh, in 1859, was the first time. And, and a lot of the new physics, the seeds were being planted in the late 1800s. And it was during this time that scientists believed that there is a field of energy that connects all things. They, they wanted to believe that. So 1887, there was a very famous experiment that was conducted at Case Western Reserve University in, in the basement. And the experiment was the very famous Michelson-Morley experiment to two scientists who were determined to prove once and for all, definitively, does this field exist? Uh, and the results of the experiment from that time, based on the equipment they were using, uh, was that there is no field. They detected no field with their equipment, and they stated scientifically, it was published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, 1887, uh, that this field does not exist, leading us to believe that everything is separate from everything else, that what we do in one place has little or uh, if any influence anywhere else. And the best science uh, of the modern world has been based on this idea of separation for a uh, hundred years now until 1987. A hundred years later, the experiment was repeated. This time it was under the auspices of the United States Air Force, uh, using much better equipment, much better sensors. And to everyone's amazement, uh, this experiment in 1987 confirmed that there is, in fact, a field that does connect everything. And, and it actually, when they measured it, it fell exactly within the parameters that were predicted a hundred years earlier by Michelson and Morley. So... This is one of the places where the big changes are happening. Peer-reviewed science now acknowledges that this field exists, yet there is a resistance to incorporate this uh, into the textbooks, the classrooms, into the unified field theory. This is one of the reasons why scientists have yet to be able to find it. If we're going to make the kind of change that we're talking about making, we've got to reach so far uh, deep into mainstream of, of every everyday lives. And to do that, what I've found is we need a language uh, that is a neutral language that doesn't turn people off the moment they hear it. And for right now, the, the best language that I have found for right now across nations and governments uh, and individuals, it's the language of science, which is it's a, a neutral language, and it's actually very simple until we make it sound complex with mathematics and words. But nature is simple, science is simple. So when we can honor these deep, principles, deep spiritual principles within our own bodies, and share with people, we are living what is being called now a time of extremes. So it's not our imagination. There is something very different that's happening here. And if we, if we really step out and look at the big picture, uh, the catalyst for the extremes that we're all feeling in our lives, it is the convergence of three powerful cycles that we rarely hear uh, about uh, at least for a couple of them. One of them is the climate cycle that we do hear about. Uh, one of them is a cycle of economies that people, when they look at me, they say, what do you mean, uh, you know, an economic cycle? Well, these, it's not necessarily about money. Economies can be about money. 
but I have been in many cultures where they have good economies and there's no money there. It's, it's about people and the way people work together and share the vital resources they need every day in their lives and how the agreements that have come together for us to do that, and those agreements unfold in cycles that are knowable, they're measurable, they're predictable. Uh, and the third cycle really surprised a lot of people. It is called a, a cycle of conflict. War uh, occurs in a cyclic basis. It follows very precise cycles of 17.7 years and 56-year cycles. Um, it doesn't mean we must have war when those cycles unfold. It means that we are susceptible, we're vulnerable. Uh, and it's the opportunity for us to, to use very conscious languaging and, and a lot of compassion and go the extra step when we're solving our problems. Well, any one of those cycles would be enough to, to change the way we think and live in and of itself. And the fact that all three of them are converging in our lifetimes, in this window of time, the first time it's happened like this uh, in a little over 5,000 years. So it is creating uh, a time of extremes where we're, we're living in a world in, in ways that we're simply not used to seeing. The world is changing faster than most of us have been prepared to accept that change. And what that means is we've got to think and live differently, more so now than we have in any time in our lives. So the new discoveries of, of science give us the reason to change the way we think and the way we live. And I think people, I've found there can be a, a resistance to change unless people see a benefit. When people see the reason that the change is being made and what the benefit is, most people are okay with, with creating the change because they're honored with the knowledge. And that's very different than simply imposing a change, saying everybody do this or do that, without helping them understand why they would ever want to make those changes in their lives. So, so once we understand the context, uh, these cycles that are converging, we can let that go because we're not, we can't do anything about them. But then the question becomes, how do we embrace that change in a healthy way? How do we literally thrive in the presence of our time of extremes. And this is where the, the marriage of science and spirituality, uh, our past, when we go into civilizations of the past, they have lived through times very similar to ours. And, and yeah, the technology was different, certainly, but the fundamental principles of everyday living that help them, if we have the wisdom to recognize those, they will help us in our lives as well. And community, uh, healthy community was a big part of what has helped our ancestors in the past. But a lot of people want to categorize our show as a you know, woo-woo, pipe dream, airy-fairy, hippie message of all love and utopia, and let's, can't we all just get along? And we want to bring the logic into that conversation that it is much more logical to think we will be here longer if we figure out a way to peacefully cohabit this planet with each other rather than do things the way we've been doing them. Sure. Well, globalization has brought us to that point. This is, this is the first generation in this cycle of civilization where we are as connected as we are right now. And what it means is that there no longer is a them and an us. There is a we. And I think even people that uh, have been reluctant or just wanted to, to discount that fact now recognize it. How do we apply what we now know, the deepest truths of our existence? How do we apply... What science is telling us, and many of our ancestors have said for a long time, in our everyday lives, in a way that's practical, uh, it's meaningful, and it's effective. We'll be right back for more of our conversation with Greg Braden.
Welcome back to The Awakening Code. Our conversation with Greg Braden continues. Well, one of the things that you also talk about is the turning points. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because those turning points is like the tipping points. It's like, what is it in our science and our spirituality that helps us understand when those occur? Or what can we do to understand that in regards to our own lives? So sure, can... well, we've all heard uh, the term uh, turning points, and usually it's not in uh, a very good light. We typically hear about a turning point. Uh, I'm sorry, a tipping point. We've all heard that the tipping points, uh, particularly when it comes to climate change. We are familiar with, with that term. What we're rarely told is that before we ever reach one of those tipping points of no return. We've got to go through at least one and usually multiple turning points. And the, the turning point is, is the place where we recognize the problem. We recognize what's happening, and we have the opportunity to make the changes to avoid the tipping points. And what often happens, this was true with the economic collapse in 2008, for almost two years, Experts had seen what was coming. They ran the algorithms. They did the math. Uh, they knew that this collapse was coming. Those were turning points that were not embraced. So that's an example of where they knew information that could avoid the tipping point of no return, but they didn't act on them. And this is, this is where in our spiritual path, it's not enough just to know. It's the first step. We've got to know that we have a choice, number one know that we have a choice. Number two, to have the courage to choose once we recognize that we have an option. And number three is to find the strength, our inner strength. And for many of us, that is a spiritual strength uh, so that we can find our own courage to make those choices uh, in our personal lives, in our family lives, with our careers, health care decisions. But the, the tipping points never sneak up on us. They never come out of the blue. Are we, we always have to go through the turning points. The, the question is, are we willing to recognize them when they show up in our lives? Are we even still in a turning point? What, do you believe when we're talking about global climate or sea level oh, rise? A, absolutely, absolutely. We, what's happening is the climate change is forcing us to think differently about our relationship to the Earth. And in that way, uh, I think it's serving us. And we... Uh, I'm very optimistic about even uh, near term where we're going. We definitely need to go clean and green and sustainable. And one of the facts that comes up when we do the research is that we've had the technology to do that for over 60 years now. So it's not like scientists have to, you know, huddle in a room somewhere and come up with with a plan. Uh, We've had the technology for clean, abundant, uh, inexpensive energy that is available to everyone that creates zero greenhouse gases and creates zero toxic waste and cannot be weaponized. Uh, we've had that for over 60 years. Uh, it has yet to be a priority among our leadership. And I'm not saying it has to be a president of any of America or any other country. I'm just saying leaders have yet to make it a priority to bring this kind of technology uh to the level where it is available to everyone. And the powers that be, the oil companies and everybody else just says, there's zero motivation on our part to change things. Our consciousness, that's the big disconnect, is our consciousness is not involved very often in our business-making decisions, in our manufacturing decisions, in our energy-generating or consumption decisions. It's just we'll go with status quo until 
something, you know, wakes us, jerks us awake, but we're talking about very big events that are going to be waking us up. Well, well, we are, and, and the reason there is so little interest is when we go back with this template of the false assumptions. For 150 years, we have been steeped in a scientific story that people have trusted and believed that say the origin of life is completely random, the origin of human life is completely random, we're separate from our bodies and powerless when it comes to our own healing. We're separate from the world beyond our bodies, uh, and we've been taught that nature's based on this model of competition. So if we live in a world of where everything's separate from everything else and competition is the rule, what we're seeing would make perfect sense. The thing is, we don't live in that world, and that's why those ideas that, that were implemented late 1800s, early 1900s, they have worked for a time, and now they're unsustainable. They're not sustainable in the presence of a changing world. In the presence of these collapsing cycles that are all converging and in our lifetime, that change, the way we have lived, is not sustainable in the presence of that change. So I have friends of mine in medical school. This is a perfect example. I'm going to be sharing discoveries about the human body that, Doctors practicing right now have said to me, they've come to the audience, and they said, how come we don't know about this? How come this isn't being taught in the medical schools? And, and some of these discoveries were made back in the early 90s, so they've certainly had time to incorporate it if they wanted to. I had an opportunity uh, to, uh, to hear a doctor talk recently at an event, and he's one of the leading stem cell researchers in Southern California. And I didn't realize this, that you can actually have your own stem cell made for you. It costs about a million dollars. But they can make it for you and design yep. it for you and put it off to the side. And if you ever have a problem and they can figure out a way to use it, it's as good as any other stem cell. Amazing. You can do that. And what our ancestors showed and what the laboratory science is showing us now is that we all are born with the stem cells. We have them all of our lives. And that we can trigger them. We can awaken them within our own bodies. Uh, they, they, that's their job. They want to be awakened, but they have to have the right environment. And that environment, it, it can be the external environment, it can be our internal environment, uh, and we're gonna, we'll talk about all these things in the program. I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share, in a very visual way, uh, the, some of the film clips. and the, uh, It's leading-edge science. It's peer-reviewed, and this is the thing. This is where this gets important. We all have seen, uh, you know, anything can be put up on the Internet. I think we all know that. So... So, for example, you'll see an article by a man who works for NASA, for example, that writes about climate change, uh, something that's not true. Uh, and when that finds its way onto YouTube or across the Twitter feeds, it comes up and it says, NASA scientist says such and such about climate change. Well, does he work for NASA? Yeah. Did he say it? Yeah. It's not peer-reviewed. Peer-reviewed science is when a scientist uh, does a study, publishes his work, and circulates it among other scientists, his peers, for a period of time. And sometimes it can take years. It can take four or five years for a paper, a white paper, to be circulated. And those colleagues will try to find out where he's right, where he's wrong. If the theory isn't right, they'll shoot it down. And if, if it survives, it is published in a peer-reviewed journal. And that is the material that I'm sharing with our audience. It's peer-reviewed. It simply has not made it into popular science. It's not on MSNBC or the cable TV shows or, or in the documentaries or in the textbooks. Uh, not yet. And 
just in all honesty, there is traditionally there is a little lag time between when a study or a discovery is made and when it shows up. But that lag time, we don't have time to wait for that lag time to, to pass. We need to know about these deep relationships now that we have with our own bodies, with the advanced nervous system that we're wired to, to use in, in our bodies in our time of extremes for longevity, for healing, for immune response, uh, anti-aging hormones, all of these things. So we have all this already if we give ourselves, our bodies, the right environment, we can thrive in the stress and the time of extremes. And what's so interesting is the only way to do that is to come full circle and embrace in our lives our deepest spiritual principles from our past that have been with us for a very long time. So, so we come full circle. There was a time where, where science was moving, led our population in the West so far away from those deep spiritual principles. And it's like a pendulum coming back because there's so much overlap between the science and uh, so many of the, the spiritual spiritual principles, not religious ideas. I'm going to make that distinction. So this isn't about religion, um, which I define as the rules and the dogma that are wrapped around ideas that pre-exist the religion, the, the spiritual principles uh, of us, and our relationship to our bodies and one another in the earth, they've existed much longer than the religions. Powerful, powerful knowledge. And the religions came along, and they wrapped the control around those deep spiritual principles. So we're cutting through the red tape of the religion, and we're going right to the core of those spiritual principles through the indigenous traditions uh, that I've had the opportunity to experience, uh, and marrying that with, with the best science of our time uh, to give us a wisdom that I believe is greater than the science can be all by itself, and, and it's greater than the spirituality can be all by itself. It's about the marriage of both. Thank you for tuning in to The Awakening Code. Next week, we will speak with physicist Nassim Harriman, and we hope you'll join us then.